Welcome to Musar for Sar Shalom and the Lapid Nation. I'm Batya Gage. I'm so glad that you have joined us today as we work on strengthening and perfecting our Midot, our character traits. Um, we are our way, already halfway through Elul with Rosh Hashanah only a week and a half away. And I am really praying that each of you are taking full advantage of this opportunity while the king is in the field to uh, clean your house, to deal with any sin that's never been dealt with, to um, um, just do a lot of introspection. That's what Musar is all about anyway. Um, you know, I think we can all agree that 2020 has been a most challenging year our, for our country, for the world, our country, um, our community, and certainly I'm sure in many of our personal lives. And I really feel like that Hashem is moving in a very powerful way and, and we can get to watch and see what he does in all these situations. So this is not a time to get distracted and miss this opportunity to deal with what we need to deal with in our own lives and cling to him while he is in the field. Um, last week we studied the virtue of humility. And so let's do a little review, and then actually today we're going to finish our book. We'll finish our last two virtues today, and uh, then we'll take a break until after Sukkot, and we'll talk about that at the end of class. The principle of humility, according to Ron Call, is that a person should regard himself basically as unimportant in pretty much all circumstances. It's the opposite of haughtiness, and it depends on both our thoughts and our actions. Um, interestingly, he said that one thing that can bring a person to conceit is wisdom. A person gets wisdom and then they think they've got a lot of wisdom and then they begin to be haughty. He goes on to say that there's no such thing as a wise person that uh, cannot learn from his peers and even his students. He also says that uh, any virtue that any of us have and the wise is nothing that we've done, but it's simply a gift of Hashem for this person. Um, and that, but there's no room for pride and haughtiness. We simply should just thank Hashem for giving us this particular gift. Because anyway, even the most wise person, if all of our wisdom is really nothing compared to Hashem, you know, even our greatest sages, he said, were really just students of previous sages and you know our understanding is shallow and our minds are weak and errors multiply and any knowledge that we think we have is really just minute and conceit and haughtiness have no place in our lives whatsoever. Then we looked at humility in our actions and he divided this kind of into four parts. The first part was acting in a lowly manner. Um, one should always speak softly, Yoma 86a. Uh, regarding a person's physical bearing, Romkal said, don't walk around arrogantly with your nose in the air. And regarding your place in the community, Romkal says, associate with those who conduct themselves in a lowly manner. The second part was bearing disparagement. And the sages say, and interestingly, the Rosh Hashanah 17a, whose transgression does he pardon? That that overlooks the sin that another has committed against him. 
In Shabbos 88b regarding Shoftim 531, those who are insulted and do not respond with insult, who hear abuse directed at themselves and do not respond. The third part was adverse to authoritative positions or authority, fleeing from honor. In Pesachim 87b, the sages comment, how lamentable is a position of authority for it buries its occupants. A position of authority is really just a great burden to the one who who has to bear that burden and everyone under his uh, guidance he's responsible for. And if they mess up, that's on him. Seeking honor always leads us away. Pursuing honor, looking for honor always leads us away from him. Shim and distracts us from what we should be doing. Um, And we should avoid seeking praise, seeking honor at pretty much all times. The fourth category was respecting all people. Pirkei Avot 4.1 says, Who is respected? The one who respects others. Humility can remove many of the obstacles from our path and draw us close to many good things. Uh, The person who really has this Uh, has humility is not really concerned for the things of this earth and he's not envious of vanity he has a quiet demeanor about him he's not prone to arguments Um, everything about him is just quiet and calm and people want to be around him in chapter uh, 23 Romkal said that there were two factors that could lead to humility habit and contemplation action and thought Uh, And we've always said that external actions will affect internal emotions. So begin to act in a way of humility and eventually, after some time, that will be internalized. Contemplation, our thoughts, on the other hand, take a lot more. Uh, He says that, and this comes from Pirkei Avot 3.1, there are three things that we always need to keep in mind to keep our humility in check. Know from where you came. We came from a putrid drop of nothing. We didn't create ourselves. Um, So we came from nothing. And know where you are heading. We're heading the same place of all humans. To a place of dust, worms, and maggots. So no place for pride and haughtiness there. And then lastly, before whom you are destined to give an accounting. Now, if you remember last week, we took a few minutes and we tried to imagine that scene, uh, that entering the great court, standing before the king of kings, the holy one, the most pure and exalted creator um, with, with his legions of angels who have no blemish. Imagine standing there in his presence. How will we even dare to raise our heads? And if in that moment we're asked, Where is your pride and haughtiness now? What in the world could we possibly answer? The second area to contemplate was how quickly things can change. The wealthy can become poor in a matter of seconds, um, and a great leader can fall to a state of shame in a matter of seconds. And so there's no room for any of us because we could be the next one to fall. So there's no room for pride in that area. Um, 
The next area we have to ponder on is our weakness as human beings. We are just weak. We are more likely to do evil than good. We're lots more likely to believe a, a lie if it's wrapped up pretty than we are the truth. Um, the truth doesn't really interest us. So we are weak, weak human beings. We struggle with the Yetzirah every day and oftentimes fall uh, prey to it. Uh, he says the primary factors leading to the loss of humility are foolishness and flattery. Foolishness, uh, he says haughtiness is proportional to a person's foolishness. They're really lacking true knowledge. And then the other factor he talked about was flattery, that uh False flatterers will flatter someone for their own benefit. Maybe they're brown nosing or whatever you call it. And they just want something from this person. Then the person begins to believe the flattery as truth. Then he finds himself ensnared in just a net of haughtiness and is broken. Then Rom Call ended this study of humility with some caution to us. He said, be careful whom you seek as a friend and an advisor. He said, the one who fix your food and drink, um, you don't need to be quite as careful with because that can only hurt your body. But a friend and an advisor can do damage to your soul. And uh, he said, ended with this advice, which I thought was excellent. Nothing is better for a person than to seek honest friends who will shed light where he is blind Rebuke us with love and save us from evil. For what a person cannot see due to his inability to censor himself, they will see and understand. They will caution him and he will be protected. So we all need to make sure we have at least one friend who can see where we are blind and will be honest with us and we will listen to. Okay, so today we are actually going to Go to the chapter 24 on page 168 for our next uh, virtue. And we will actually finish today. Uh, the last two attributes are fear of sin and will end with holiness. And Romkal says that fear of sin is here at the end because one, it's the, one of the most important and it's also one of the most difficult to attain. And also because you need all those other virtues we covered in this book before you get to this one. Um, the, there's really two types of fear. One is we are afraid we're going to be punished or hurt or something. So we don't do something. It's a great mo motivator at times. Uh, but it's not the kind of uh, fear that we're looking at for a truly holy, righteous person. And so let's talk about the second kind of fear, which is <clears throat> fear of Hashem's exaltedness. This type of fear motivates us to distance ourselves from sin, not because of fun punishment, but because of the immense glory of Hashem. This is a lot harder to, ach to achieve and attain than just fear of punishment. Uh, so we have to contemplate a lot on Hashem and his exaltedness. You may have had a little glimpse of this if you stood at the ocean and you watched the waves or you looked up in the sky at night and you saw endless stars. You might just had a little glimpse of that fear and awe that you feel at, uh, at the exaltedness of Hashem. Um, and when we 
contemplate that and study that. Then we look at ourselves. We see how lowly we are and how big that gap is. And that's what causes us to fear and tremble. Deuteronomy 28:58 says, So as to fear this glorified and awesome name, the eternal your God. Now, what we're really looking at today, though, is fear of sin, which is kind of a subcategory of fear of Hashem. Um, it's a little bit distinct in that the, the, this type of fear causes us to be afraid that we're going to sin, that we're going to do something against the exalted glory of Hashem. Um, even it, We're even looking at little things. Am I, you know, maybe I'm doing fairly good, but did I mix in some sin with my mitzvot? And so we're always looking and, and checking ourselves and making sure that no sin gets mixed in with our service of Hashem. Um, and the goal of both fear of Hashem and fear of sin is not to do anything that goes against the exalted glory of Hashem. The, uh, the difference is that uh, fear of Hashem uh, usually occurs when we are worshiping or uh, in prayer or in, uh, something like that. We tremble in fear because we, we've come face to face with his exaltedness, his greatness. Um, on the other hand, fear of sin should occur all of the time. Every time we do something, we're kind of constantly fearful. Did I do that right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing anything counter to the glory of Hashem? Mishlei 28, 14 says, Praiseworthy is the man who is always fearful. Uh, the sages say that this was written in reference to the Torah. And Roncal expands even further, For when one does not see the obstacle before him, his heart is worried that there is an obstacle hidden there and that he's unprotected. So we're even looking for hidden, uh, uh, hidden you know, pitfalls that we might fall in or hidden exits where we might get off the trail. Um, Moshe said in Shemot 2017, in order that reverence for him, Hashem, be impressed upon you so that you do not sin. So if we always have this type of fear, fear of sin, fear of sinning, then we're not going to be so quick to sin, to fall into sin. And if we do sin, it's most likely going to be accidental or something we did unintentional. Going on and talking about this fear of fear of Hashem, the, you know, the angels tremble and shudder constantly before Hashem. Um, and whenever uh, he reveals himself in the earth, the earth also shudders and trembles. In Tehillim 68.8, it says the earth shuddered, even the heavens dropped before Hashem. So even the earth and the heavens tremble before his exaltedness. So how much more should we tremble before the great and awesome creator of the world? But keep in mind what we studied earlier we are always standing before Hashem. We don't have to wait to stand at the ocean. We don't have to wait to be in prayer because we are always in His presence. We should always be a little bit fear and trembling if we realize that He, this is real and this is serious. And um, if we can get that on our minds, we probably will fear and tremble a bit. And uh, it says that the, this type of fear has kind of two components. 
one is present and past and the other one is future so we're always kind of looking at what did I do in the past did I sin that's when we do teshuva oh yeah oh I gotta do teshuva for that but we also are looking at the uh, the future how can I not sin um, and then in the present how can I keep out of sin in present and future how can I keep from sinning I've looked back I've looked at my sin I've done teshuva but how can I stay out of sin uh, Bava Ben Buta from the Mishnah Kerizot 6.3 he would always sacrifice they say a provisional guilt, uh, guilt offering every day just in case he sinned and if you remember Job in Job 1.5 sacrificed burnt offerings equal to the number of his sons because perhaps maybe they sinned um, you know even mitzvot we've completed it it's good to go back and examine them and say did we do everything correctly doing that mitzvot so in Bereshit 15.1 it says Avraham do not be afraid now why was Avraham afraid um, he was told not to be afraid so why was he afraid when Abraham went to rescue Lot if you remember he was in quite a battle in rescuing Lot and he was afraid when he got through that battle that perhaps his deeds were not completely pure and what if in his battling he killed someone who really was a righteous God-fearing person and so he would fear that, that he had sinned this is the true fear about which they talk about in Barakot 33b. The only thing that the Holy One, blessed be he, has in his world is a storehouse. And what is in that storehouse? Only one thing. Fear of heaven. And you know what gets in the way though is our human condition is a great deterrent. Um, but we should strive as much as we can to get as much as we can of the fear of Hashem and fear of sin. Tehillim 34.10 says, Fear Adonai, you his holy ones. <clears throat> so page 174 in chapter 25, um, it asks the question, so how do we get fear of this fear of sin? Romkal says that by reflecting on two realities, that the divine presence is everywhere and sees everything. If we can really, if we really believe this, we can really get it in our minds, keep it in our minds. Um, this should help us develop this fear of sin. Yeshayahu six three says the whole earth is filled with His glory. Yeremiah twenty three twenty four. Behold, I fill the heavens and the earth. Tehillim 113, 5 and 6. Who is like Hashem our God, who, threw, who uh, though enthroned on high, lowered himself to look upon the heavens and the earth. And Psalm 138, 6. For Adonai is exalted, yet he sees the lowly, and to the haughty he will make himself known. So he is everywhere and he sees everything. So once it is clear to us that we really are standing in the presence of Hashem all of the time, um, we should automatically be filled with fear and trepidation, especially concerning our sin, sin we might have done, sin we might do. Uh, Pirkei Avot 2.1 says, Know what is above you, an observing eye, and a listening ear, and all of your deeds 
are being inscribed in the book. How appropriate for this time of year that we are in. But our problem is that we have a really bad memory. So we have this fear of Hashem. We have this moment where we are fear and trembling before, and then we forget. We, fit, we go about our day, we forget. So we've got to constantly remind ourselves, constantly be removing distractions that would get in the way. Um, anything that would keep us from thinking on the exaltedness of Shem at all times. You know, Ram Kaul pointed out that Hashem commanded the king in Devarim 17:19, it, it, the Torah, shall be with him and he shall study it all the days of his life so that he learns to fear Adonai his God. From this, we learn that in order to acquire this attribute of fear of sin, another thing we need to do is continuously be studying the Torah. Um, because this fear of sin is not something that just comes to us naturally. It's something that we have to learn and develop. And like the Shema says, when we're at home, when we're on the road, when, uh, when we're lying down, when we're arising, that's when we study Torah. That's when we put the words of Torah on our heart until it is firmly established. Because we are standing before Hashem at all of those times. And then we can begin to really learn and develop this fear of, his, fear of sin, this attribute that will keep us from sin. David Hamelik prayed um, in Tehillim 86.11, <clears throat> Teach me, O Lord, your way, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Before we move on to our next topic, our last topic, which is holiness, I want to share a little story and some words of my own. Many of you know that my husband, Manasseh, took the name Manasseh, but... Not everyone knows why he took that name. It's not after the tribe Manasseh. It's after the king Manasseh. King Manasseh was the most evil king Israel ever had. And uh, I could go into great detail about the horrible things he did. Um, it said that the blood ran in the streets up to the bridle of the horses. He sawed Isaiah in half. He uh, took, uh, did horrible things in the temple, took horrible idols into the temple. But finally, he was taken captive by the Assyrians, and he was led away with a hook in his nose. And he was put into a, a cell, which is really a pit with a little air hole, and he stayed there for three years. And even in that situation, he cried out to false gods. But finally, he cried out to the one true God, Hashem. He repented. Hashem forgave him. And then Hashem restored him to his kingship. However, many people in Israel that had lived under King Manasseh would not forgive him. And therefore, King Manasseh was forgiven, but the people that would not forgive him were punished because of their unforgiveness. So as we try to understand this fear of sin attribute, especially being in the season that we're currently in, I am painfully confronted by a couple of things. One, how easily me, any of us, can fall into sin. And two, how easy it can be to let other people's sin somehow cause us to sin. And especially at this time of Elul with Rosh Hashanah coming so quickly, 
we don't have time to be pointing or even looking at one another's sin. We have got to be uh, looking at ourselves, dealing with our own sin right now because the gates are going to come closing at the end of Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is next week. We don't dare take time away from this. We don't dare miss this opportunity and have all that stuff that we don't want to deal with for another year be sealed in there. So let's take full advantage of this opportunity. And we're going to come back to King Manasseh at the end of our lesson today. But for now, let's go on to our next chapter, our final chapter, chapter 26. And it's on for you that like page numbers, page 176. This is the last attribute of, that Romkal gives in his book, and that's the attribute of holiness. He says it begins with worship and it ends with a reward. He says it begins with our effort, but it ends up being a gift. We take the first step towards holiness, but Hashem takes the rest. Um, so what does it take? It takes the same thing we have been discussing for several weeks. If you remember the Hebrew word, devakut, clinging. We must cling to Hashem with everything we have. And this requires distancing ourselves from the world and the cares of the world. Um, yes, we have to take care of our earthly body and all of that entails working and sleeping and eating and all of those things. But at the same time, our soul is never deviating from clinging to Hashem, even while we're doing these everyday things. Tehillim 63.9 says, My soul cleaves after you. Your right hand has supported me. On the other hand, we know there's always another hand. Even though we take the initial effort, we start, we take the first step, it is beyond our capabilities to fully make ourselves holy because we are made of flesh and blood. So the completion of holiness has to be a gift from Hashem. He guides us along the path that we are trying to walk and we can rest and he will rest his holiness upon us and sanctify us himself. So we take the first step, but he takes the rest of them. And only when that happens together will our feeble little efforts succeed, allowing us to remain in continuous clinging communion with Hashem. And in, when we get to that place, even those physical deeds we have to do to take care of our everyday life, they become a matter of holiness. Then Rome Call decides to make a distinction for between purity, which we studied previously, and holiness. He says a person who has attained purity, um, he performs only those essential actions that need to be done um, for living in this world, um, you know, like we talked about. But he says, one who has attained holiness and cleaves to Hashem, it's as, like his soul is walking with Hashem in the Olam Haba, in the world to come, while he's still in this world and kind of like in the world, but not of the world. Um, and he compares them, the person with the holy attribute, that's holy, to the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. And the altar, he goes on to say that the patriarchs were the divine chariot for the divine presence dwelt within them. So, similarly, the righteous 
are divine chariots, for the divine presence also dwells in them. Just as the sacrifices placed on the altar had undergone a tremendous spiritual elevation, and because of that elevation, the entire world was blessed, the food and drink eaten even by a holy person undergoes a spiritual elevation um, as if it were a sacrifice on the altar. He continues with this discussion, with his discussion of this comparison, and he continues in Ketubot 105b, whoever brings a gift to a Torah scholar is regarded as if he had brought the bickering. And they said in Yoma 71a, fill the throats of Torah scholars with wine in place of the wine libation. Now he's quick to point out that they are not chasing after food and drink like we think about it, but rather he wants us to understand this in the context of uh, of a holy person, a person who who possesses holiness, and their ways and their deeds are likened to the Beit HaMikdash because the divine presence dwelt in the Beit HaMikdash and it dwells in the person of holiness. And therefore, if you if something is brought to this holy person, it's as if it was brought to the altar. And so it says, filling the throats is in the place of filling the bases into which the libations were poured. So, in this manner that he's discussing this, any object that a Torah scholar uses, a holy person uses, can be elevated spiritually and enhanced. And even the stones that Yaakov, if you remember in uh, Huli 91b, the stones that Yaakov surrounded his head to sleep, it says, Rabbi Yitzhak said that this teaches us that they all gather together, the stones, saying to one another, let the righteous lay his head on me. So even the stones that he laid his head on were elevated because he was a holy person. Ram calls summarizes this attribute of holiness <clears throat> and saying that it consists of cleaving, devaku, clinging to Hashem to such an extent that the performance of any deed uh, he never detaches himself from Hashem. Everything he does, he's always attached to Hashem. And as a result, physical objects that he makes use of become elevated in his everyday mundane use of them. But this requires that he constantly focus in his mind and uh, as it, in his thoughts on the greatness of Hashem, on the exaltedness and holiness of Hashem. And then he finds himself truly in union Romkal says, with even the celestial angels, as it were, while still in this world. Some of us may be thinking, uh, he's so earthly, heavenly bounty is no earthly good. But that's not quite what we're talking about. He kind of has a foot in both worlds, the person that's holy. But he says, this cannot happen until we have internalized all of the rest of these attributes. Um, after one has prepared himself accordingly, he's strengthened all these attributes, but he continues to cling through powerful love and intense fear, continually reflecting on the greatness of Hashem. Uh, then we begin to detach ourselves from the world and the cares of the world. And then we truly begin to have true communion with Hashem. Uh, he says, Then a spirit from Hashem will be bestowed upon him, and the Creator will rest his name upon him as he does all of his holy ones. Then we will truly become like an angel of Hashem, and all our actions, even the most lowliest ones, will be like the sacrifices and the priestly service. 
Wow, that's a whole new level that he says we may never attain, but we should strive to attain that level. So how do we do it? He says, first of all, we have to be able to direct our thoughts towards the things of Hashem. We have to be able to control our minds while still going about our day-to-day activities, just as the priest would do when he's slaughtering an animal, he's collecting the blood, he's sprinkling the blood, but constantly his mind is on Hashem, even while he's doing these everyday things. Um, He also says another thing that will help is abstinence, solitude, and a measure of seclusion can be of great assistance in acquiring this virtue. He says, on the other hand, this um, constant interaction we're not saying withdraw from people, but constant interaction can cause the soul to kind of lose this uh, virtue. So in that quiet place with Hashem, the soul can gain strength and learn to cleave to Hashem. And then when you go about with people, you can keep that attitude. Um, He says... um, it, his devakut will help him to reach a loftier plane like we just described. Avodah Zarah 20b says, Holiness leads to divine inspiration, and divine inspiration leads to the resurrection of the dead. Wow. So even, uh, I was looking at some of Kepha's words, the uh, disciple Kepha, in First uh, Peter 1, and I encourage you to read the whole chapter, but I'll just point out a couple of verses. He says, therefore, get your minds ready, control your thoughts, and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Yeshua HaMashiach is revealed. Like obedient children, do not comply with the evil urges, the Yetzer Hurrah, that you used to follow in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves. In all of your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So we may think this is a very lofty plane, but we are told to to work towards reaching that plane. Well, we have reached the end of the book, the path of the just, but we have not reached the end of our journey. In fact, he says that this book is not the end of everything we need to know, but only the beginning. It should only be a gateway to more things to study, more things to learn, more things to work on. Um, Mishlei 3.6 says, in all of your ways, know him and he will direct your paths. And then he ends with these words. May the blessed one in his mercy open our eyes through his Torah and guide us in his ways and lead us in his paths and may be, we be worthy of glorifying his name and pleasing him. Well, um, I'm so glad you joined me for this book study. Uh, you know, after Sukkot, we're going to take a break for the next few weeks and go through the holy days. It's always a busy time. So the week after Sukkot, we will start up again. And we've got, uh, got a couple of books that we're going to do. One is a back to the basics Musar book called Spiritual Practice of Good Actions. And the author is uh, Greg Marcus. He's, uh, it, this book is very similar to the one we first did, which was Everyday Holiness. The other book that I'm going to use along with that every week is a book that I'm, I'm looking forward to doing. It's called the Musar Torah Commentary. 
and it pulls a Musar trait each week from the from the Parsha that week. So I'm going to combine those two, and we're going to start that the week, uh, Bezrat Hashem, the week after Sukkot. So I hope you have some great holy days, some very uh powerful time of teshuva and preparation for Rosh Hashanah and then on into Yom Kippur and then we'll celebrate at Sukkot. But I want to conclude today with one more thing that is just has always been very powerful for me ever since I learned this and this this goes back to our King Manashe and this comes from the Talmud. Rabbi Levi said the Assyrians filled a copper cauldron and they placed the king in it and lit a fire under it. When he saw his plight, he called out to every idolatrous deity, but none of them assisted him. And he said, I remember that my father read me a verse in synagogue. When you are in distress and all these things befall you in the latter days, you you shall return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice he will not fail you or destroy you. That's from Devarim 4.30. So King Manasseh goes on. Now I cry out to God. If he listens to me, well and good. If not, then all gods are just alike. So the angels barricaded the windows of heaven when King Manasseh began to pray so that the prayer of Manasseh would not ascend all the way to God. And they said, Lord of the world, are you willing to give gracious hearing to one who has worshipped idols and set up idols in the temple? What did Hashem answer? If I did not accept the penance of this man, replied God, I should be closing the door in the face of all repentant sinners. So God made a little opening under the throne of his glory, and he received the prayer of Manasseh through it. So I would like to end today, um, especially at this time of Elul, with that prayer of Teshuvah of King Manasseh. It must have been pretty powerful, for Hashem heard it and forgave him. And the other reason I want to end with this prayer of Teshuvah is because as we go into this time, this very serious time, we we can keep in mind that if Hashem would forgive King Manasseh of all his horrible sins, then surely within his mercy, he will forgive us. So I'm going to read this prayer to you. Hope I can get through it. Lord Almighty, God of our ancestors, God of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and their righteous offspring, you who made heaven and earth with all their order, you shackled for the sea by your word of command, who confined the deep and sealed it by your terrible and glorious name, at whom all things shudder and tremble before your power. For your glorious splendor cannot be borne, and the wrath of your threat to sinners is unendurable. Yet immeasurable and unsearchable is your promised mercy, for you are the Lord Most High of great compassion, long-suffering, very merciful, and you relent at human suffering, O Lord, according to your great goodness. You have promised repentance and forgiveness to those who have sinned against you, and in the multitude of your mercies you have appointed repentance for sinners so that they may be saved. Therefore you, O Lord God of the righteous, have not appointed repentance for the righteous, for Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who do not sin against you, but you have appointed repentance for me, 
for I am a sinner. For the sins I have committed are more in number than the sands of the sea. My transgressions are multiplied, O Lord, they are multiplied. I am not worthy to even look up and see the height of heaven because of the multitude of my iniquities. I am weighted down with many an iron fetter so that I am rejected because of my sins and I, I have no relief. For I have provoked your wrath, and I have done what is evil in your sight, setting up abominations and multiplying offenses. And now I bend the knee of my heart, imploring you for your kindness. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned, and I acknowledge my transgressions. I earnestly implore you, forgive me, O Lord, forgive me. Do not destroy me with my transgressions. Do not be angry with me forever or store up evil for me. Do not condemn me to the depths of the earth. For you, Lord, are the God of those who repent. And in me you will manifest your goodness, for unworthy as I am, you will save me according to your great mercy, and I will praise you continually all the days of my life. For all the host of heaven sings your praise, and yours is the glory forever. Amen. Have a joyous, holy, wonderful, holy day season. Do your teshuva. Get close to the king in the field. And I will see you after Sukkot. Thank you for joining me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>